It's time for the No Shot Clock Podcast. We're talking the biggest stories in Illinois high school basketball. Hey, now, here are your hosts, Michael O'Brien of the Chicago Sun-Times and Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Boost Report. Welcome on in to episode 121 of No Shot Clock. Oh boy, this is it. We got uh, the final, what are we at, 10, 9 days of the season left. We have the Chipotle Classic, or sorry, it, it was renamed, or the name really is the Chipotle Clash of Champions, which does not roll off the tongue like the Chipotle Classic, I have to admit. We went that this weekend, and then a full week of Public League action, also like 250 games over the next three days, everybody's getting their last one in. So a lot of action to talk about, which led to a lot of questions. So we're going to start out with the mailbag. Then we're going to go into our two takes. Then we'll take a look at the Chipotle Clash of Champions. And then a look at some of the other games coming up this week. Are you ready for all of this basketball this week, Joe? March Madness, can you feel it? Oh, that's right. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Not, it's not quite sectional uh, final stuff. <laughs> no. Uh, it's... I mean, it's a consolation prize of what we get in this, and I mean, there's, there, I'm going to talk a little bit about it. We'll talk a little bit about that later, you know, on our preview and a little bit of that that Chipotle Clash of Champions and the look ahead to what is the last big weekend of the season. <laughs> That's it's over, and then we get the public league. Some as, is there. Are there publicly game, like significant games next week? Have you looked at the schedule? Or yeah. Is that not- yeah, it's just like the rest of the C. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's like a normal public league week, basically. There's no, like, huge game that I saw, but there's... That'd be kind of nice if there, was, if there had been a... Well, uh, yeah. I, I know that Robert Smith and Tyrone Slaughter have talked about maybe playing if they don't meet up this weekend. So... Yeah, I think they rescheduled so many games. There are like five games next week. <laughs> so Yeah, there's nothing scheduled for that Saturday as far as I'm aware. The last day of the season. So I think that would be the day it could happen. I also had one public league coach tell me that they were going to do crossovers that day, which would be great. You know, like Red White, sorry, the Red North West versus the South Central, like first place team versus the first and, you know, that whole thing. Um that's a great idea. They should definitely do that. That would be awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, it's I don't know, like we said, everything's been odd and weird and difficult, and it's you, you, you do try to find the good in it, and there has been some good for sure, uh, but it still remain remains different and odd. <clears throat> Let's uh, get going to these questions. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. First one from JJ. A lot of them. Yes, he says, can Downers Grove North pull the upset at home on senior night versus heavily favored Glenbard West? My, I'm going to say no. Yeah, yeah, my quick thing was probably not. <laughs> I, um, I'm not going to went. I went Wednesday night and saw Glenbard West live just kind of dismantle York. York made a nice little comeback, but, you know, it was after they had up, they were up by 20. They're just so big and long. Downers North had Quiley's put together a really nice season. Yeah. Uh, and they, and they do have some size, uh, to, to kind of combat that 
unbelievable size and length that Glenbard West has. And Downers North is 11 and 1, but I just think Glenbard West is just, just really playing at a high level right now and, and is one of the real unfortunate stories of this shortened, abbreviated season. Yeah, no doubt. I have a million people asking on Twitter why they aren't in the Chipotle thing. Yes, yes, I know. It's getting pretty wild. Uh, next up, Kyle Williams, good friend of the podcast. He wants to know who are uh, the best underclassmen in the Chipotle event this weekend. Um, it's a well, you start with A.J. Casey. Decent I mean, list, yeah. I mean, A.J. Casey's the number one junior in the entire state of Illinois. Top 25 player in the country. You know, uh, Jalen Drain at Simeon is a top 10 player in the class. Uh, Tamaris Brown of St. Pat's, another junior, you know, top 15, top 20 type player. Uh, you know, there's some senior dominated teams for sure. You know, Notre Dame and Evanston and, um, you know, DePaul's got Dylan Arnett, a up and coming junior. Uh, I had, um, I was really intrigued by what I saw. From Prince Adams, the Evanston sophomore with his size. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully he'll be playing and he'll be interested. And we left out a huge one. Uh, maybe the breakout player of the public league season, Xavier Amos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he he's a kid who really grabbed my eye in some off-the-beaten-path basketball to the point where, you know, in all my college recruiting stuff I send out, Amos has been a top-ten prospect for a the better part of the year, just no one has seen him. And he's putting up some numbers. He's got great length and versatility, a multidimensional forward who's really kind of stepped up and, and become a, a valuable piece for that undefeated young team. Yeah, he was um, really good when I saw him, and he's he gotten even better based on the numbers. Uh, Daniel Johnson, another guy at Young, um, mm-hmm. a junior. Uh, you mentioned Tamaris Brown. He, he's a such an intriguing player to me. He, and he's not really the focus of that offense in any way. In a lot of ways, yeah, he's he, like the third option. Yeah, he leads him in the scoring. Exactly. You know, yeah. Uh, for the second straight say. year, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, he's, he's kind of a, he's an under the radar producing star. Yeah. I mean, I, no one talks much about him, you know, so I mean, St. you know, St. Pat's is, you know, got those three seniors they rely heavily on those two guards and, and Coro and Galati and, you know, Tamaris is just, uh, uh, it's just been a, uh, a stats sheet stuffing kid for two years for St. Pat's. I really like, I know this group, I don't know, they're not like superstars or anything, but even just the group of juniors at this event, I really like them. Um, and I, and I like, you know, everybody knows I like Jalen Drain's game a ton and he, he's a really intriguing player to me, but yeah, Tamaris Brown, I pretty much feel the same way about it after seeing him a couple times this season and with Amos and Daniel Johnson and everybody knows Casey. Yeah, it's an intriguing group. It should be, um, that is a fun little kind of subplot to watch, um, for sure this weekend to see which of those guys really steps up on the big stage. Uh, next up, Ronell Chapman, maybe our hall of fame, uh, question asker, uh, over these, I don't know how many years it's been now. Um, Ronell says, this day last year was the last day before everything shut down. It's Thursday as we record this. He's right. It's March 11th. This was, this was it. And the sectional finals weren't played in class 3A and 4A. It still irks me. Can you at least tell us your picks and predict the rest of the 2020 state tournament fictionally just for fun? That's the first part of his question. We'll address that. 
you know, I, my initial reaction to this one was, oh gosh, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm already thinking more about next season. I'm not going back. I can't even remember who was on those teams, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know what? I said, let's take a look at our simulation because I spent a lot of time on that, actually, <laughs> after the season last year. Got a lot of help um, from, from some people. And this wasn't just like a thrown together random thing. This was a lot of raw data that Aaron Britton provided. He does uh, Nesto spreadsheets and keeps all that stuff. You know, a lot like um, the old Essig report. If you're, I'm sure a lot of old timers remember that stuff. And if you remember the Essig report, that data often held out, you know, through the season and into the playoffs. Sometimes it would be more right than, than we were, you know, than the experts. Those things like points per game and just kind of raw stats actually worked in a lot of ways for prediction. So we had that plus, um, the Barking Crow, which has done predictions for years for, um, NCAA basketball tournaments and stuff. So they have a lot of, um, you know, the kind of tournament randomness factors, they understand that kind of thing um, a little bit. And he tweaked some stuff for high schools. So this was not just like a picking things out of a hat. And the simulation was really interesting. And I think it would have changed this year, obviously would have if we'd had playoffs. And one of those teams where they, we would have looked at differently is Mundelein. Because Mundelein did extremely well in the simulation. But it's interesting because they narrowly beat Stevenson in that first game. It was a buzzer beater. But then they dominated Evanston, you know, a team that most of us would have expected to win and was the favorite, you know, in the projection. They beat Curie by 20 points, Mundelein, in the state semifinals. And then they lost to Collinsville by five in the final. So that was the foray. It was um, Curie, Mundelein, Collinsville, and I forget who the other team was in the in the semis. But Collinsville is the state champion, which I I don't know if you want to get into that, Joe. But I guess that wouldn't have shocked me. Well, I would have had just having seen the way Loyola and Evanston were playing at the end of the year, I would have had them beating Mundelein or Stevenson in the super. Uh, those two were playing at a really really high level. I watched that Loyola team just. Just dominate Niles North. Uh, then Evanston took care of Glenbrook South. And I just felt like they were one of the, I, that was one of my sectional games I was really, really looking forward to. And even though Young, you know, everybody talks about Young and I don't know how they pan out in those, you know, the, the, the data because they usually have a lot of losses, but they were playing really well. I thought they looked very good in that last game we watched when they, they, they handled Simeon. Uh, yeah. pretty easily. Yeah. So I, you know, and what the, but you know, we can't underestimate Curie. I mean, it would have been great to play it out. Um, I saw Collinsville once. Very good. Uh, I, I liked their road to, to get to Peoria. Uh, despite, you know, Juliet West, uh, your, yeah, your boys. Yeah. <laughs> we but, lost. uh, I mean, Juliet West would have, probably taken care of East Aurora and played Collinsville in that ISU super sectional. So yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I I was, it was anticipating, you know, there was going to be three really high level, high profile teams in Peoria and 4A. And then that, you know, I don't want to take anything away from, because Kerry Grove was having the season of their dreams in that one, uh, through that DeKalb super sectional with, Lake Park, Naperville Central, and St. Charles North. So, you know, that was the one group of teams that wouldn't have provided quite the 
you know, the big name or the, the high level that, that kind of fills out the rest of the bracket. But nonetheless, it would have been a fun storyline. Yeah. That's what we missed out on, you know, coming into this season. We just didn't have those, those teams. The simulation had Loyola losing to Evanston by six in the sectional final. And it had Young getting crushed by Curie, which was interesting. Young's probably the one team I, I'm with you based on what we saw that last game against Simeon. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised to see them win at all. Uh, the team I forgot that made the final four in this was actually Naperville Central. Um, made a, and it was kind of that road thing you were talking about. You know, they knocked off Lake Park, Lake Park and then St. Charles North. Um, then lost to Collinsville. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's not, that's realistic, I guess. And in the other classes, um, East St. Louis won the 3A title. They beat Morgan Park. Um, Peoria Notre Dame knocked off Niles Notre Dame. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Peoria Notre Dame won the, the title. They beat East St. Louis. It was a non-Chicago final, which we've seen plenty of times in 3A. Um, East St. Louis beat Morgan Park, and Peoria Notre Dame beat Niles Notre Dame in what would have been the worst game for me to write about ever <laughs> with, mm. with the two Notre Dames. And then in 2A, this is the other storyline I think we missed out on, or beat Timothy Christian in the title game, which seems like it, incredibly realistic. And it really would have set up this Timothy Christian team for, you know, a much higher profile this season. Yeah, unlike 3A, 4A, they were already in Peoria. Yeah. So the work, you know, <laughs> was done. Was done. Yeah. That, that, that's too bad. We'd have definitely wanted to watch that Timothy. I mean, I really wanted to see them anyway this year and it didn't happen, but if they had played in a state championship game last year and had all those kids back, that would have been uh, really fun. All right. So, uh, the second part of Rennell's question, he, um, wants to know about Jalen Washington, uh, over in, is it Gary? Yeah. He's a, he's a mm -hmm. Gary. Um, wanted to know, um, if Jalen and AJ Casey could both be all Americans last year. And he's hoping that, Jalen Washington winds up at the Elite Classic next season. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Jalen. Uh, he plays with the Mean Streets, so you know he, you get a little taste of the the star qualities he has. Uh, yeah, he's he's a star. I mean, he's a big time, high profile twenty class of twenty twenty two, a junior, six eight. You know, uh, he's top. He's ranked right about where AJ Casey is, and with Big Ten offers. Uh, so yeah, he's. Uh, as good as as any player in Illinois is right there with AJ Casey. There were uh, there were rumors over the summer about Jalen Washington transferring into the public league. Mm -hmm. FYI, so and clearly there's no one transferred into the public league this season for a, <laughs> a very clear reason. Well, I guess AJ Casey sort of did, but he'd already done it before all this stuff happened. So I don't know. Maybe we might want to keep our eyes or ears open for that one over the next few months. Uh, next up is Tom Curran. I think this is his first question. He says his question's a bit basic, um, but he wants to know where we get our rosters from when we're watching streams, um, since we can't go to the games. I think uh, the two things, the two places, Tom, that are really the only places, well, I guess there's three, Max Preps. It can be a little difficult to figure out, and it's really annoying to me that they got rid of the PDF section so I can't print it easy. But Max Preps has a lot of rosters, especially Public League. The CPS encourages Public League teams to actually put their rosters on there. So you'll get some stuff. The second will be, it's called, like, Illinois 8-18. to 18. 
like IL 8 to 18. A lot of suburban schools still kind of run their athletic departments on that site, and you can definitely find rosters on there. And the third would be just the school website in general, especially Catholic schools. Like if you, you know, just Google Marian Catholic basketball or Brother Rice basketball and you go to the, those schools will quite often have pretty good websites um, with links to the streams, rosters, um, all that kind of stuff. Anywhere I'm forgetting, Joe? No, I mean that one, the second one you talk, Athletics 2000, which is basically the same thing you're talking about that you just go to Athletics 2000. Yeah. It takes you to a whole list of schools and a couple of clicks and you can get there. I guess the other one in a normal season, if you're ever looking for rosters, once the Christmas, the holiday tournaments are over, those websites stay up and they will have the rosters generally. Or even if they don't, they'll have box scores and those are kind of rosters. That's a trick I use a lot once we're past the holidays. Um, mm-hmm. Next up, our kind of second question Tom had was, he said he was watching Tom Kleinschmidt and Bobby Frazier coach against each other this week. Great to see a couple of McDonald's All-Americans back at their alma maters. You have to think this is the best matchup of former players turned coaches in terms of hoops ability, which could be true. Uh, he wondered about the coaching history with Bobby's dad being a longtime coach at Eisenhower and the Irvins now taking Morgan Park and Kenwood jobs. What are some other notable families to have coaching trees in Illinois high school hoops? Well, I mean, you, you, you and I were talking right before. Uh, Mark Condotti at home at Flossmore is, you know, took over, well, in between Roy uh, Jim McLaughlin was in between Roy Condotti, Roy Condotti, the legendary coach, you know, Westinghouse, Homewood Flossmore. Um, you know, the couple ones that I currently, the Lavarado family, uh, you know, Tony Sr. was a longtime coach at Hinsdale South. And then Tony Jr. is the current successful longtime coach at Maine South. And then Tony's brother, Tim Lavarado was the coach for a while. Not sure how many seasons. He was at Willowbrook. Uh, so the Lavarados had, had three. The little Scalias, you know, Phil Scalia at Lake Forest, his brother Mark Lascalia is at Lyle, and their dad, uh, Tony Lascalia was a Hall of Fame type coach at Benedictine Division Three. So in Lyle. So there's, you know, a, a pretty lengthy list of family. I'm trying to think of who else I had. Uh, Lino um, for a while at Lane. Yeah. Uh, Austin Scott, the current coach at Hersey, oh. is the son of um, Dave Scott. I think he coached about 12, 13 years at Maine South. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, is, is another one. Um, as I saw that question come up, came up, I uh, had a couple more, and I, you know, Wayne McLean and Sergio McLean at one point uh, before you know Wayne McLean passed away. Um, yeah, I'm just one of those things. I'm sure there's a bunch more. I didn't. I, I researched a lot of questions. I did not really hit this one, um, because it would require too much of my brain, <laughs> and I just don't have it right now. Um, yeah. T- uh, Tino Malnati is the uh, new Trier freshman B coach. Uh, <laughs> Rick Malnati's son. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. uh yeah. So. All right. We'll uh, move it along. Next up. Jack Lydon, good friend of the podcast. Jack is curious about Indian Creek basketball. He says they put up some gaudy win totals and scores in recent years, even for a 1A team. How would they do against Chicago area competition? Uh, Jack, I actually went out to see them last year. 
uh, in person. I think I watched them one other time too, but I had them in the rankings for a while since they were undefeated. I think the best kind of data way to kind of describe it is last year, and this team's, this year's team is very similar to last year's team, I would say. Um, last year they didn't play many big schools, bigger schools, but they beat Joliet Catholic by 22, which is about what most Boy, this is some shade on Julia Catholic, which is about what most good high school teams do, I was about to say. Um, and then they, um, they beat Aurora Christian, Aurora Christian twice, which is also a 1A team, but they also lost to them in that pivotal playoff game. And Aurora Christian went out and about a little bit more. They played RB, you know, in their world, and they lost to them by four once, and they beat them by five once. Aurora Christian also beat a really good Lindblom team by 20. So I think it's fair to say that Indian Creek last year and probably this year would have been one of those like top 30, top 35 in and out of, you know, a rankings team, depending on if they're hot is my take. Yeah, it's not mine, but I just, the significant difference in depth 4A and 1A in particular, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just such a massive difference. And oh, they had seven kids who could play. I mean, I know, but didn't they just lose a decal by thirty-five? Yeah, I haven't seen this year's team. They lost their best player, so yeah, I don't know as much. And they've lost four games, so I like their junior or last year's junior was my favorite guy. Anyway, I I, I just think it's just uh, it's apples and oranges. It's why we have four classes, and <laughs> that's they got what they wanted. I mean, small schools, which. It is. It's hard. I mean, I don't know. They got 180 kids, 200 kids. Uh, I want two classes, but I, I just think it's like the third place of a really good league that's not ranked is going to beat almost every single 1A school. Uh, you know, like, I don't know. Are all three central suburban league teams ranked right now? I didn't look at your most recent rankings. Yeah. I so, thought about that. They are, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, they would all bury, you know, the best 1A teams is my example. Yeah, but that's like the best conference. Well, okay, I'll go. I'll go other conferences. <laughs> I don't want to spend all day on, like, Downers Grove North. Downers Grove North. Yeah, like, you're talking easily. about ranked teams. I'm talking about, like, you know, what's uh... – Carmel and uh, and I'm just gonna start ripping, you know, a Naperville North or this uh, year's Batavia Geneva. I don't know. I think that's pretty close. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just don't see them as a top thirty team in any any year ever. It'd have to be a unbelievably special. Well, they were last year. That was an unbelievably special team. Right. I don't think they would. I don't. I I'm talking Providence, St. Mel, Lowell, Hamilton, Fernando Bunch special. Not. Not uh little ten special. And I, I I'm not trying to take anything away. They're a great one A team. It's just one A and four A. I mean just like watch the state finals. It's it's Well we have. It's, it's like glaring. the teams around it like Providence St. Mel from a couple of years ago. They could play with our They were ranked all year. Yeah, I don't I don't think Indian Creek would what did Indian Creek do in the super? Uh they lost to the Aurora Christian team. By 40 or 30? It was bad. Really bad. But, but <laughs> they just, beat him twice I, earlier in the year. So I, I love like... Indian Creek story, but I just, it's, I don't find it anywhere near 
what we're talking about to be realistic is all. Next up, Brock Lindsay. I think he's a, a rookie. He says, uh, what do you think about Westinghouse being a top 25 team? It seems as if they have had a good year so far, but flown under the radar. Also, Gary Johns looks like a Division One player with his size and versatility. What do you think? Uh, Westinghouse almost got in the rankings. Um, I, I was pretty impressed with them. They just don't have much of a resume yet, which is a problem with pretty much all the public league teams. You know, they're four and one. Um, they- I keep waiting for Westinghouse to like, I don't know. In the last two years, I've kind of been, I think they were preseason ranked even, weren't they? Last Westinghouse? year, they might have been like 24, 25, yeah. And they were, we went all over come that. together. We went over that Westinghouse thing. They lost like 12 games to good teams. Yeah. Last year. Um, they played a crazy tough schedule. They, I mean, I remember them saying they kind of, they shouldn't have done that to themselves. <laughs> Don't open with Fenwick at Fenwick followed by Bennett the next night. And, uh, um, yeah, but this team, I thought they were better this year. Um, definitely, even though they were still kind of rounded into shape. Gary Johns was really interesting to me. Um, you know, he wasn't a kid. I really had, I knew who he was, but I'm not going to say he was big on my radar and he played really well. Six had 16 points and 11 rebounds. And that's up against uh, sincere Malone, who was also really impressive. They went at it. It was a fun game to watch. Um, he's picking up like Juco and AIA offers right now, uh, but he's a good student. You know, Westinghouse is a, a magnet school now. It's a good school. So he's got the grades and that'll help open up some opportunities to him. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a kid that, um, and, you know, in a month or I guess after the spring, maybe, you know, if he's on the right, gets seen by the right people, had some things happening for him. Let's see. Caleb Carter up next. Oh boy. This is the question that drove me nuts. Who's the team you most wanted to see that you won't get to see play this season? <sighs> I couldn't really pick one. I, I had a long list. Um, Timothy Amanda. Christian was on there. Yeah, so I, I guess mine, the best team that I have not seen is I have not seen Curie play. Mm-hmm. So that would be the one team of all the ranked teams that I have not seen that I would like to see play. I you know I haven't seen them streamed or live. Uh, I'm trying to think of anybody else. Um, I would have liked to gone up to Zion Benton. I would like to check them out. I didn't get to or Yorkville Christian. That was what I wanted to see and. The only ranked team I haven't seen in person is Hillcrest. And it's because, you know, I had to prioritize. And I've seen that Hillcrest team play a bunch. I know they're a year older, but, you know, I had to go to places to find out what was up. And unfortunately, I, I've seen them. And the Oak Forest, I would have loved to seen Robbie Avila play. But again, I know what that is. So they kind of fell through the crack, too. Those are Those were my... Biggest misses so far, I guess. Yeah, I, Lamont's eleven and one. I haven't seen them. Yeah, Lamont and they're Lamont and Bloom are two teams where you know they're led by young guys. So I those that really annoys me that I didn't get to see them because they're going to be important, you know, for next year's rankings. That's uh, that stinks. There just was not enough time. Uh, I saw no. Oh, how about a conference? I have seen. I saw no Duquesne conference. Play. Oh no, I saw St. Charles North play, uh, and that's about it. I made a point to go show my face <laughs> every conference. Uh, I did not get to the Fox Valley, which I mean, there just wasn't enough time. I didn't get there. I think the only other major conference I didn't see was well, Little Ten, Little Ten. 
No, I, yeah, I didn't get. No, oh, it was RB. I don't know if that's a major. Should we? Sorry, RB. Um, major conference? No. Yeah, I didn't get to the Upstate Eight, which is teetering on major conference territory these days, sadly, in basketball. Um, yeah. Sorry, Upstate Dark Eight. Days. Yeah, they'll be back, I'm sure. But right now is. I hope. I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, it's. Mm. It's weird because that's a lot of teams and a lot of some decent history there, you know. Um, anyway, uh, next up, Sheree Becton. Uh, Sheree has a it's it's a complicated question, but it kind of comes down to the situation about determining conference champions, and it's very much like the situation currently going on with Illinois and Michigan. You know, how do you determine the conference champion? You know, there's talk about. It's it's a Catholic league based thing because I think they're saying that Fenwick won the conference. Yeah, Illinois and Michigan. I don't even like to bring it up. Yeah, because how it was decided was decided ahead of time. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that letter that you know the AD wrote. He he explains right in there what the, he said that he agreed to it. So I don't. That was stupid. Great piece by Rick Morrissey, by the way. <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's it was fantastic. Uh, but yeah, right now in the Catholic league. I mean, Fenwick's claiming they won, I guess, because they beat Brother Rice head-to-head. Is that it? Wait, what? Fenwick says they won the Catholic League. They're 11-1 so in it. <laughs> yeah, I I have not... This would have been a research one where I just hurry up and find out, hey, what's your rules for kind of Catholic, who's being awarded the Catholic Conference Championship? I, I don't know. Yeah, they celebrated but, well, it. The, I well, retweeted it. Fen, Fen, Fenwick and Brother Rice play each other, right? Yeah. Well, who won? Fenwick, I believe. Well, that should be pretty cut and dry. If you have a better record and you beat the team. That's they, well, they're not going to have a better. Well, it, Brother Rice plays Rita. If Brother Rice wins that, they're both 11 and 1. Um, but I, I guess Sheree's mentioning that. Fenwick got to play Mount Carmel and Brother Rice won't because of COVID. See, it's all messed up because that conference was hit hard by COVID. You know, Mount Carmel only played six league games. Rita, you know, just nine. So the whole thing's a mess. So I don't know why if they end up with the same record. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, but it seems – I don't know why this is – I know it's – I don't know why it's so difficult. If they're both 11 and 1 and one team beat the other one, done. Move on. I don't care if they, they had unbalanced schedules. How else are you going to decide it? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, you know my, how worried I am about conference championships. <laughs> I know that's all they have hey, to this... play for this year. But... Yeah, it's all that matters this year. Yeah, I don't really care, especially when they change all the time. Anyway, next up, George Hajek. Uh, hey, Jack, sorry, George. I, I know who you are. I, I can't pronounce your last name. George is a huge RB fan. He reminds me a lot of uh, myself as a Joliet fan. <laughs> Back in the day, George is always there. He's always got fun takes on RB. Um, he is has a kind of a question about scores. About He's having difficulty finding scores from several days back. And he mentions that Jack Gleason's site, which does a great job, they di- the scores disappear on the following Monday. Jack just keeps them up for one week. Um, George, I do have a place for you. It's just the Sun-Times website. We're there. 
we've got it now. It's not like the past where I used to take the Associated Press scores and they were a mess. I have a guy, Ryan Allen. He does the scores every night. We keep them up forever. Uh, they're all there. Uh, you know, it's Jack's first starting point too. So, you know, that's where he's getting a lot of this stuff. We don't take them down. They're up there for good. You can go back and find all of last seasons right now. It, uh, we do have like a, a special tab. It's called high school sports scores. And you can go on there and find scores from every day of this season. I didn't even know that. Yeah. It's, uh, we're good. We, we're good now. Um, we've been good for the, th- is, three years now. The, three years? Yeah. Yeah. Would have been a big help if I'd known that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long as you know, like, we just put it at, it's just by day. Um, and there is the occasional score we won't get, but, and we don't go back and add it like Jack will if we find it later in the week, really. It's just for that night, but 95% of them are there, uh, for sure. And let's see. Oh, George also mentions the great point that the, why doesn't the IHSA do this? Which I think we've all heard me rant about <laughs> quite a bit. Scores and schedules, very simple. Well, and uh, and um, high school, the the school sites, you know, some of them do it. Some of them do a great job. Yeah. But how hard is that? Just update your. I was just looking at West Aurora. They didn't win a game all year, and they update all their scores. Props to them. That was nice of them. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, got bleak. Yeah. Actually, actually, they did win a game this week. I yeah, think I, I, they won in the tournament. I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, I don't know why. High schools don't on their sites when they've got their schedules up. Some of them put them up like some, and then not others. And they, athletic yeah, director it, turnover is large, but that shouldn't be a real high. That's not a super super <laughs> tough task for any AD to while you're coming in to take your new job, put scores up. I mean, have you ever tried to figure out someone's password that just got fired? <laughs> Can't get into the site. Oh, I gotta start a new one. Oh my gosh, I don't have three hours to figure this out. I would guess that's a large problem. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's max preps. You'd think would be good for that, but I'm sure there's a lot of ads that get locked out of the max preps when somebody leaves, <laughs> and it's probably hard to start a new one. I'm guessing it's probably a little bit more annoying than we realize as um, people who don't do it, which is why the IHSA should just do it. But anyway, next up, um, oh boy. Paniatis Malamus, who is, congratulates me for saying his name right last time, which just put pressure on me this time. <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm going to say you're one for two. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, I froze I have no under idea, pressure. But... Uh, it kind of felt like, not to get in, I, when I saw it, I froze. You know what? I'm, I'm freezing on deadline. After a year off of not having deadline writing to do, like last night, I'm like sitting there. I got like 10 minutes left and I've written three leads to the DePaul prep game story and they all stink and I've deleted them. And so I like, it's weird. It's like a muscle that I didn't use for a year and it's like atrophied. I've had a lot of muscles I didn't use for a year. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. I mean, I forgot how, I mean, that's a difficult, not too many, but it's tough writing on deadline like that and. Yeah, I'm really, I've only done it two or three times this year because the games have been earlier and there's been no sophomore games a lot and some, oh, anyway. So yeah, I've froze up. That's kind of just how I felt trying to say Paniatis' name. <laughs> anyway, his question is, oh, yeah, do you think uh, within the next couple of years we will actually see a shot clock implemented in Illinois high school basketball? This is an easy one. Yes. 
Um, yes. I'm going to say the start of the 2020, what year is this? 21, 22? Yeah, 21. I'm going to say the start of the 2023 season. Yeah, we were supposed to have it by now. So the IHSA expected to have it by now. No, I'm going to say 2022, 2023, that, that year. They yeah. were waiting on the NFHS. Um, I'm going to go the opposite and say it's going to take longer now. I, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go 2024. Mm. We will have it. And I'm also going to, uh, I think a lot of public league teams just won't do it is my new opinion on that. I think they just won't bother. Like they don't bother sometimes. Like they only get two refs instead of three. I don't think any school that is using two refs is going to care about the shot clock rule. <laughs> uh, next up is George Sorensen. Uh, he wants to know uh, Evanston's chances in the Chipotle Classic if they don't have the two centers. He's, he's talking about, you know, the two bigs. Um, They're back. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's Prince Adams and, oh, Ola, Ajaboye. Mm-hmm. So I like their chances. I mean, I, now I, I, I will say of these four Evanston teams, I kind of bunch them together. The, we'll call them the Blake Peters years. Yeah. Uh, I think this is my least, uh, a, a, you know, dominating team, the, the, the least confident team that I have in, in Evanston of all those four teams. Uh, I just don't think they are at, the level they have been at, um, obviously there's no easy game they're going to get in that thing. I think it'd be really hard for them to piece together three straight wins. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, that, that four or five game, Notre Dame, Evanston should be, you know, it's going to be competitive, good matchup wise. And, but I just don't think this Evanston team is as dangerous as, as our past ones. Yeah, I 100% agree. Something, they're just not clicking like they did those other years. And you know, who knows? Uh, if Jalen doing... Gibson loss was, was, was big. I mean, he provided a lot of things they don't have. Um, Blake Peters seems like he is so much more of a focal point where teams now are just doing all they can to lock him up, shut him down, face guard, all these things that, <clears throat> because I think they had more weapons in the past that you weren't able to do. You know, they would spread you out a year ago and, you know, Jalen Gibson would get downhill, take defenders, draw a lot of, with his physicality, draw a lot of defensive, um, you know, interest from that, from their foes. And it's just not, it's just not the same. Yeah. I, I agree. I do think though it could have been different as everything would have been, you know, in a full season. I I mean they've played I think sixteen or seventeen games, but they haven't had the practices. And I just feel like I do like the pieces, and I think they could have been not the fourth of the four Blake Peters teams if they had the whole year, but they don't. Yeah, and and again, I mean what we're talking about now is still a team that's clearly one of the top, well, definitely one of the top eight teams, if not top handful of teams in the entire Chicago area, even as I'm critiquing them comparatively to past Evanston teams. I'm not sure about that. And that goes right into Jonas. You know, top, no. You know, they're a top eight team. I don't No, Not right now. Oh. Um, that goes into our next question. Jonas Evans says, Hey guys, huge fan of the show. Um, 
I'm actually the student arena announcer for Glenbrook South, so this question is very close to home. Who do you think is the true best team in the Central Suburban League? They're going to end up splitting the conference title, but is the right team going to make Chipotle Classic? Thanks once again. Um, and yeah, I'd take Glenbrook South right now over Evanston. Well, having watched that game where Evanston pretty much did what they wanted with them that second game and up by 20, um, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think they just I, lost to him. Yeah. Well, I don't know. What's that mean? They split and Glenbrook South dropped a crutter in the second game. To me, the second game and, means and, less than the first. But I was going to make a point. I think Nutrier is the most underrated, probably underrated team in the entire Chicago area and is playing as good a basketball as, is, any team in that league. And well, they showed it by yeah. beating Glenbrook South, but Nutrier is going to be very good next year. Uh, they'll be the best team. I think they'll be even better than Glenbrook South next year. The, um, you know, Nutrier had that long shutdown. So it was a problem. I, mean, I, I don't, I mean, Glenbrook South and Evanston played a best of seven. Sure. It might go seven games. Uh, I'm not convinced that. I mean, I don't know how Evans is not a top eight team. I, I just, but it doesn't, I mean, I think Glenbrook South could argue they're a top, top 10, top eight team. I mean, it, that league's one of the best leagues in the state. And it, 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 I think it's, I really think it's a toss up between all three of them, not just Glenbrook South and Evanston. I think New Trier is right there as well. Next up is Ren Lusters. He says, going into this final stretch, what's going to be your deciding factor between Christie and Hopkins for player of the year? It's a shame we won't see them compete against each other. Yeah, don't bring that up. That was one of my games in my sides collide uh, lineup I had this year. Bryce against uh, Max Christie and Bryce Hopkins. I, I think this is probably... You know, let's, uh, let's wait, because um, that's my first take. Okay. Player of the year stuff. So let's hold off on that one. Um Tease us with the question. Yeah. Uh, Ren Lusters uh, had a second question. We can hit this one right now. It's okay. He says, um, have you heard about this new overtime league for high school students? Do you see it lasting? And do you think our best players will leave the state to play? Have you read about this, Joe? Yeah. What do you uh, uh, for the listeners, um, what's the deal? It's going to be a high school and college alternative where you go to this league and you make a hundred grand a year. Yeah. So I can't remember. I think it's only like 25 players or 30 players. A super small a number of players to begin with. I, I I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> no, I don't think players are going to be flocking to it. I don't think. They're only going to take the, the best of the – I mean, I would assume only the best of the best that just say forget this amateur stuff. Yeah. I'm going to go do it. Uh, as an alternative to get to the NBA. But what's going to happen though is the NBA rules changing. I think, uh, one more year where you can, you're going to go straight to the NBA from high school. So I, you know, I think they'll just play their high school ball and go straight to the NBA. My, my wonder when I read about this is to me, this is a threat not to high schools directly, but to the, the powers. It's a threat to Montverde and Oak Hill and Finley Prep and IMG. 
you know, those are the kids they want. So my question would be, okay, so let's say this overtime league takes the top tier from those schools. Are those schools now going to go and take the next tier from the high schools? You know what I mean? Are we going to lose? Like, well, that domino effect would be really bad. <laughs> if, that, if that came, if that came to be true and real, then hoops report might shut up, shut, shut its doors. Down. <laughs> so to me, that's the interesting because right. That's the level of players this overtime wants. It's not our kids, right? It's the, and it's the kids who would be most likely, I think, cause they're already leaving their hometown. They're going to this big thing. To me, those are the kids that, um, Instead of doing that, let's go make some money. Yeah, the, the kids that are playing in the Geico Nationals that you see, those are the ones that the overtime league wants. Um, so hopefully there's no trickle-down effect. That was my worry. Um, but th- again, this is just my gut feeling. I have no idea what's going to happen in any of this. Uh, what I haven't read and dug into is how are they paying for it all? Yeah, I have no idea. I think some investors I mean, is the best. Uh, I know, but what, where are they getting their money from? Do you know what I mean? It's not like it's going to be massive interest in the thing. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a soccer uh, type arrangement where you like own shares in the player, <laughs> his future. <laughs> who did, what sport did that come out with where it, it was a American sport. Somebody, I don't know. Yeah. Somebody owes a bunch of money that they loan. Oh, I think it was baseball. Uh, oh, Fernando Tatis. Um, he, he got investors and he owes like millions of dollars to people who fronted him money early. Um, it was fascinating. Well, good. He can afford it. Yeah. So, I mean, th- it could it's be that go. kind of model, though, where – and it, that's yeah. been going on in soccer for a while. So, who knows? I have no idea. But next up, Matthew Wu. We'll go back to what we know about. <laughs> He's got an, he wants to know our MSL championship prediction. So you're trying to figure out who I'm going to invest my money in, yeah. Illinois players. <laughs> uh, hmm. What do you got? Rolling Meadows versus Barrington Joe. This is going to be like the first time in four years, three or four years, I've missed the MSL title game. I like it. It's a great event. Ah, Rolling Meadows closes it out with a perfect undefeated season. They got to beat Prospect first here, I think, tonight. They play Prospect. Um, I think they've already won it. Yeah. I'm just talking about undefeated season. Yeah, yeah, I'm taking, taking Max Christie and Rolling Meadows. Yeah, me too. Um, it's the big game for them. You know, they're, they're not in the Chipotle Clash of Champions because of this game. And it's a great event. If you've never been to the MSL title game and you're a high school basketball fan, I'd recommend it regardless of who's in it. it it's fun. The whole kind of community comes out. It's always sold out. All the all-conference players show up to get their honor. You know, it's not like people care. and It's a fun thing. And the games have been spectacular. The last few well, games. and it's a league with that's been solidified and stayed the same with long-standing rivalries and connections between the schools and school districts up there, and there hasn't been any movement and shakeups, and that's what's pretty cool about the mid-suburban league. Yeah, a lot of fun. I'm gonna miss it this year. It would have been a, although I guess there won't be much of a crowd anyway. <laughs> Next up, oh gosh, this question, which Porter Patrol on Twitter, he. I must have spent a half an hour on this today, Joe. He wants to know, he says, Mike, we are far from the days of Sika. Build your perfect eight-team conference for the Joliets. What other six teams would make the cut? All right. I'm not sure how many people care about this, so I'll probably try, I'll try and be quick. 
initially my gut please, reaction. Please, please do. <laughs> my, my gut reaction. As here. a co-host, I don't even care. <laughs> a fictitious league with yeah. Joliet. What's the perfect league? Uh, my initial reaction was the two Joliets, Lockport, Bolingbroke, Romeoville, for sure. Then, okay, that's good. That's solid. I'll then go I, with that. Then I went, and I wanted Lamont. Uh, See, it, it works geographically if we, we go north and west instead of going south and north. I thought you were going to throw a couple Lincoln ways in there. No, I want no business with them. Um, and then I was like, you know, this is not realistic. So I became realistic. And it's not a six-team league. Or, sorry, it's not an eight-team league. It's a six-team league, and I think this should actually be done simply because of the enrollments. You add this, so this is it. And these are, they're all in the top 20 biggest schools, top 18 biggest schools in the state. And that causes problems in their conferences, actually, because these schools are so much bigger than the others. So you have Joliet Central with 3,200 kids, Joliet West with 3,300, West Aurora with 3,600, East Aurora with 4,000, Lockport with 3,700, and Bolingbrook with 3,400. It's a massive schools, six teams. Go at it. <laughs> Forget the Lincoln Way. You know, they're just not big enough. The playing fields are in the low 2000s. You know, Manuka's actually grown quite a bit. Manuka and Lincoln Way East are the only two schools that can even come close. See, I don't mind big schools and conferences if they're not dominating. And no offense to your Joliet schools. They don't dominate across the board of all high school sports, like the, these massive schools that, you know, um, that's why I don't mind big schools that, do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. If you got a massive school that just kicks everybody's butt in all their sports and, um, you know, Joliet being bad at the football is what made them palatable to the Southwest Prairie. Yeah. Let's be honest. If they were as good as they should be for, you know, 7,000 kids between the two schools, that would have been an issue. But yeah, I'd love to see both Joliet's, both both Aurora's, Lockport and Bolingbrook. Super fun. Um, all right. Two takes time. We got through the questions, Joe. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Um... The, the first, my first take is, you know, I know we're going to preview a little bit of the week coming ahead, including the, uh, Chipotle class of champions and, you know, trying to find the good in this season and trying to, you know, I know Mike, you talked about three, I don't know, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, didn't want it all to become about this one tournament. And it's, and it didn't. I mean, it's not, I don't think it was overboard the last two, three weeks, just all talking about those teams. But right now, I, I think it is um, important to highlight this tournament because of a few things. One, your rankings. There's eight ranked teams, including one, two, and three. Uh, I, several of the ones that are top 10 or top 12. That's significant to me uh, in, a, in any season. And if we are going to play the shortened abbreviated season, why not get the best teams together? And for the most part, that came to fruition. The second thing I like about it, unlike other years where you always wanted the three A powers and the four A powers to kind of, and they sometimes they cross over and meet in the state tournament. 
or I'm sorry, during the regular season. But then the state tournament comes around and those anti four class people like myself, you, you miss some of those, you know, where Morgan Parks and 3A and not, you know, you're wondering about how they would play against a Belleville West or a Simeon or Young in the postseason or, or even a suburban 4A school. Uh, I, I like, you know, this year we would have been, if there was a real season, we'd be talking class 3A state playoffs right now. We'd be talking to Paul and, and Notre Dame, uh, as 3A state title contenders. And now we got a chance to see those 3A powers play against, you know, the 4A schools, uh, in an end of the season event with a, with a bracket, with, with something on the line. It's, it's nothing compared to what, you know, it's not like the, a sectional plaque and being able to rally the, the whole community and town around it. That's not happening. But for this season at this juncture, I, I think you, you do take a lot of what comes out of this two days, uh, of this tournament when all these teams are so highly ranked and with so many top players. I mean, this is an event with, you know, the, the top, Junior and AJ Casey and Bright. I would love to have Max Christie in this thing, to be honest. I mean, that's, that's, is Rolling Meadows a top eight team? No. They are not one of the top eight teams or top 10 team, probably, but, uh, on paper. But just to be able to see the state's best player in this event would have been really cool to see kind of how he could put his team on his shoulders, carry it and, uh, compete again. And for Rolling Meadows to kind of finally get a measuring stick. There's some schools that just would have really benefited from playing more high-level games and three jump out at me, Hillcrest, Glenbard West, and Rolling Meadows. Uh, that didn't happen. But these eight, these eight teams and these, these four quarterfinal games are, are going to tell us a lot about this particular asterisk season <laughs> that we have. Well, that kind of dovetails nicely into my uh, take. As Joe mentioned there, you know, this is going to – we're going to have like take a lot from it, what happens over the next two days. And I think one of those things that I wouldn't be surprised if we take from it is Isaiah Barnes. I've seen him twice in person and twice on the streams, I think. And this is not the Isaiah Barnes that I saw the last few years. I don't know if it's the change of location. He says it is. I asked him directly. I don't know if it's the senior thing, which kind of is my bet, actually. But that that inconsistency that was there with him. I mean, any of you that have seen Isaiah Barnes play more than a, one or two games has seen a stretch from him in a game where it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, he dominates. And then, you know, he'd recede and you wouldn't see much from that game. You'd go to a game and you wouldn't see him do a whole lot, period, in the whole game sometimes. Well, what I've seen this season is kind of that stretch you would occasionally see consistently. And he's done it against high-level teams. It's been impressive. He did it against some good size against Homewood Flossmore. Um, I think, I mean, obviously he's going to Michigan. This is not like <laughs> a shock to anybody that Isaiah Barnes is really good. But I think he's closer. To me, he's definitely closer to Max Christie and Bryce Hopkins than I thought a month ago, a hundred percent. And now I'm starting to wonder if that gap isn't much, much smaller than the rest of the world realizes right now. And I think he, after these two days could seriously have his name in as a player of the year candidate. 
Yeah, I mean, he's made a significant jump in the, the you. The key word was consistency. You know, he was a player who was always ranked in the top five in the class, top six. And I, I got to admit, he was the player that most people, you know, the, when you walk into a, you're in gyms or, you know, they're talking to high school basketball and rankings and recruiting. And he would be the one that people would raise their eyebrow and be like, man, he just doesn't, you know, do it for me or he, he's not, he didn't play well when I saw him. And, you know, you got to see a lot of them, uh, to kind of, evaluate. but the, my point is this. He stayed in those rankings. He stayed high in those rankings because of the talent that he has and the physical attributes that are off the charts. His size, six, seven, athlete, uh, you know, with, with that versatility to play out in the perimeter. And, you know, it's why he's, you know, he picked up a lot of offers. Uh, and it's why, to, quite frankly, he picked up a lot of offers without being seen. I mean, cause it, it was a, I'm going to trust in that level of athleticism and size and, and upside that I see him as a player and prospect without having seen this window that you just have watched. You know, he has not had a long, steady stream of consistent high level basketball. And he, and, and to your point, he's putting that together right now. And, you know, he's averaging 19 points a game for Simeon, which, you know, Simeon's not a team that's ever had massive or individuals with massive numbers, but, you know, eight rebounds, three assists a game. Yeah. He's, he's clearly a, a top five player in the class who's, I would agree is, is, I just kind of made his mark and, and solidified himself after more hope and, and potential than that we talked about in the past. Yeah. I mean, to be like concrete, it's the three point shooting. I never imagined he'd become the three point shooter he has this season. And it seems to be for real, which is something <laughs> to say the least. I mean, and you know, Simeon, there's a lot of weapons out there. So he's getting some space, you know, that he didn't have on the other teams and that kind of stuff. But I asked Isaiah, I said, you know, people said you weren't consistent. I'm sure you heard that. You know, why is it now? I said, is it that you're a senior? And he right away said it's the team, that he's just in a better position to succeed. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes over the next couple of days. Uh, my second take is just kind of what I'm seeing and, and a little bit of a <laughs> – I'm talking about how big this weekend is. I'm talking about how these games matter. And I'm talking about we figure out who the best team is. Most likely, most likely Mike's number final rankings, number one team will most likely be the champion of this. I'm assuming, I'm guessing kind of. And with all that being said, it's really hard to figure out who is, lack of a better word, healthy. I've talked to a lot of coaches in the last week or so about this topic and, and how they're dealing with injuries and, and, and it, you know, there's even some question marks on some players in this event this weekend, uh, if they're going to be able to play, uh, because of some, whether it be nagging or, or, or something a little more serious and coaches, I just keep repetitively hearing it from not just the top teams, even some of the, Teams we don't have very really talk about in the podcast and just the, the grind of the season. And I don't blame any of the coaches one bit or the players for playing, you know, these 
these um full scale 16, 17, 18, 19 games and however many days they're playing them in because it's, that was what they, that's the calendar they were given. And nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, the majority of coaches all, I think, agree that, you know what, we want to play as many games for these kids as we can. And I think if you ask any player, they're going to say, yeah, I'm going to take games over practices any day, but it has taken its toll. There's no question the the grind of this season, uh, you know, I've had some coaches this week say, "Hey, we are on fumes." Uh, I think that's partly why we're not playing well. I think it's partly why we've seen some some eye eye raising, uh, eye opening upset losses here and there, or some scores that just don't jive with what you think. Because I think it's really difficult to make out what is legitimate in terms of Mike. When we get to this point. It's always about those teams rising to the level of and meeting the those expectations on a on a big stage, the state tournament, and the sectional. And you see it all the time. These teams playing at their at the, they they reach their peak. They're playing at their highest level. And I don't think you know of all these eight teams. I'll just use this event as an example. I don't think you're going to get that. I don't think we've seen that from Notre Dame all year. Uh, you know, maybe it'll, it'll come to fruition here, you know, this weekend with Notre Dame, a team that was your preseason number one without the city teams involved and who I thought was, you know, arguably one, two or three. Uh, they haven't played quite like that and, you know, different things play into that, but I just don't, all these teams are not going to be at their optimum level this weekend. Uh, and definitely there's a lot of teams that are playing out the string of games, really hobbling, and as many coaches told me, on fumes. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, especially what Simeon's played five games. So good luck against these teams that have played 15. Um, mm-hmm. My second take, you know, is the counterpoint of all those teams that are exhausted. There's an awful lot of teams that have barely had a season. Uh, I, I received an email a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago, and it was a reader that wanted me to write a story about the tremendous success this season has been. Um, as far as, you know, I guess dealing with COVID and how they pulled it off. And this is proof that they should have played all along. And, you know, I don't want to get into arguing about COVID-19. However, I just don't think that's true. If you look at the shutdowns we've had from even the teams that have played, um, nobody knows long-term what, this COVID-19 is going to do to anyone. And it's definitely been spread around. And the, the, just the fact that these teams have played is not true. And I think, you know, since we're doing a podcast in high school basketball and we've talked about all these teams that have played, I think we can take a minute here to talk about the thousand kids, maybe more who have not played. And the fact that this has not gone off without a hitch and it's been really rough. I'm sure for a lot of teams and coaches, players, to see everybody else playing, why they didn't get to play. And so I went through Jack Leeson's list of standings just to look at the raw amount of games played. And I'm, I'm going to go through it all right now to give everybody an idea of just, you know, how much, how many kids lost out on this. And I think we should take a moment to kind of appreciate that. So indulge me for a minute. Mount Carmel, they played eight games this season. I think a lot of people don't realize that because they made some headlines, but that's it. Eight games. De La Salle played five. St. Francis de Sales did not have a season. 
Holy Trinity played eight. Crystal Ray played one. Ida Crown won. Both schools in the CICS, Ellison and Northtown, did not have a season. Matea Valley only had seven games. Juliet Catholic and St. Viator only played nine. Lyle had seven. North Shore had four. Francis Parker, Uhi, and Elgin Academy, two games each. Morgan Park had none. Uh, all seven teams in the Lakeshore Athletic Conference did not have a season. All six teams in the Metro Prep Conference did not have a season. Zero games for those 13 teams. Ridgewood, uh, usually a part of, you know, our season. They have a shootout, you know, good players every few years. Five games. Eight teams in the Noble League only managed five games. Four teams in the Noble League just played three. And five teams in the Noble League played zero. Those are pretty big Chicago high schools. I know we don't talk about them a lot on our podcast. They don't get a lot of coverage in the paper, but they've got kind of a burgeoning athletic scene in their own world, and they barely play. They played a handful of games, maybe half the teams. Waukegan, just nine games. Sign Benton, nine games. IMSA, no games. Mooseheart, nine games. Westminster Christian, three games. Grays Lake Central, six games. Longwood, which played their butts off last season to get up to the Red South Central and thought they were going to be able to maybe make some noise, did not get to play a season because their administration would not allow them. And now this last group might really surprise you because they're bigger schools we talk about a lot. Oswego, six games. West Chicago, seven games. Morton, one of the biggest high schools in the state, six games. Oak Park, six games. And then if you want to look at just the larger CPS, I'm not going to name every team, but the vast majority, I'm talking 60 to 70% of the 100 teams in the Chicago public schools will play eight games or much, much fewer. That's thousands of kids that did not get any, hardly any kind of a season. And it's just worth noting, this did not go off without a hitch. I think there's still an argument to be made that we'd have been better off waiting and playing it the the season later when schools would have had, I think a lot of these schools, the issue was they just didn't have time to throw it together as quick as the IHSA wanted them to. And I think that that's kind of been lost in the shuffle of what did happen. Yeah, I'm being interested to follow California because they initially were one of the first states to announce they were playing, I believe April and May, I think. Uh, and I don't know what the participation rate will be with high school versus AAU. If they can simultaneously play AAU while they play high school, I was always a proponent. Well, everybody says in hindsight, but this wasn't my hindsight. I was always talking to anybody who would listen back in the fall just, hey, let's get softball and uh, baseball done in the fall when the weather was right and they were coming right out of the summer, or having played baseball and softball, get a low-contact sport outdoors, get it in, get it out, and it, that clears the calendar up for the spring. And however, deal with it later, whether you play football, basketball, whatever, it just it, it created so many more weeks for those two sports to avoid the, 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 you know, one leading to the other. But yeah, I mean, I, as we talked about a million times in this podcast, it's just a weird, awkward, nothing normal about it. And to, that's, you're, you're making another point of that hasn't been talked about of the lack of games and, you know, and 
listening to certain schools and programs and coaches that have told me different scenarios and stories, some of which, well, most of which are never made public. Uh, you know, they're not really talked about too much. They're not stories written about certain cases that have gone on and things that have happened. Uh, they're, they're, they're rough. They're rough situations. And it, it is too bad for, for those schools that you imagine you go through your whole senior year. Yes, it's a shortened season, but we get to play. And then you, you adapt to that. And then after you get going, this shortened abbreviated seasons becomes even worse because we can hardly play. And that sucks. It really does. Yeah. I mean, go ask most of the public league, go ask the kids in Oswego if they would have rather waited, you know, and let them play more, you know, more than eight games. I think they probably would have. And I think the public league could have had a much more robust schedule. You know, there just wasn't, they didn't have the ability to turn around those games quickly while they were trying to get physicals. And, you know, it, it was just a, it was too fast that decision um, for a lot of schools to be able to turn around. That 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 was just a fact. Um, all right, Chipotle preview. You want to uh, Joe's predictions are up. Joe did a big um, story for y'all to check out. I tweeted it out this morning. We'll start out with uh, Simeon St. Patrick. One versus eight. Little little juice in this one. A little spice, fellas. If you don't know. Um, the Xavier Pinson transfer didn't go over so well at St. Patrick. And I think they're relishing the chance to get Simeon on their floor. This is a Simeon team that obviously super good, but has only played a handful of games. Pats is more battle tested. And these St. Patrick's kids are the type of kids that aren't going to mind at all. When I tell you they are cocky <laughs> and, and they want it and they've got chips on their shoulders. Uh, it's an interesting, fun group. And I mean, I don't know if they can pull this off, but it'll be fun to see them try. Well, this is a one of the rare opportunities of this of the of this weird high school basketball season of a bunch of games. And I'm truth be told, other than the competition getting be able to play, there's not a ton to play for. And this is, I mean, St. Pat's gets to anybody that gets to play Simeon yeah. in a tournament, you're rubbed up and fired up to play him. It doesn't matter who you are. And for these senior guys, and we mentioned Tavares Brown, the, the, the junior, it's just a huge opportunity. I know there's not going to be fans there, but you know, the comfort level of your home gym, the place you played in for four years and practice and shot in all summer and, well, not this past summer, but, uh, you know, I just think this is a great opportunity for St. Pat's to, to take down Simeon that a team that, you know, I would have seated number two, um, just because they don't have quite the lengthy list of of wins as as young, but I, St. Pat's has a chance here, as I wrote about, to play the role of a spoiler in, in a one versus eight game. And, and they do I, have I, yeah, they, they've got the ingredients because I think I wrote about it last time I covered them. I've seen them twice. I, I'm not sure I've seen a, a high school team that doesn't have you know any D1 seniors really that just wants. They all wanted that last shot. I mean, I didn't know who was going to take it. There is a lot of confidence. They're not going to be intimidated by Simeon, which is a huge thing, um, especially for a team like St. Pat's that doesn't play you know, in a conference like this. So, yeah, yeah. it should be interesting. And I, I, I'm not taking anything away from St. Pat's. I mean, they, they were the beneficiary, I think, of of some of these other top teams not being able to play because yeah. of restrictions in their conference or their own uh, school districts. But who cares? I mean, it's not like – 
it's not some scrub team. It's just a pretty solid team. Uh, you know, I watched them, the Notre Dame game. I think Mike, you were there. Uh, you know, they, they, they played right with Notre Dame, you know, and, uh, had a shot to, to pull that off. And here they get a shot now at, at, at a big one, the number one team or the number one seed team, the number two team in the Chicago area. Yeah. Joe's got Simeon winning by nine. Definitely probably what you'd have to set the line at. I don't, I don't see St. Pat's pulling off the upset. Um, I, I, yeah, I think Simeon's just too good, but I'm looking forward to it. Next up, I'm 15 and two Notre Dame versus 15 and two Evanston. We saw them play last season. Um, Notre Dame won. Two the, teams have played a lot of games. Evanston won that <laughs> one. Yes. 30-34. Yeah. Exactly. And, and yeah. you know, they played 34 games combined. You know, you you have a little side note again of a player. I remember last year, I think they played, did they play at Wintrust yeah. Arena? Yeah, Is they that, did. Yeah. Evanston won that one, yeah. And that was coming off of a year where Louis Lesman, uh, the star for Notre Dame, transferred from Evanston to Notre Dame. And, uh, you know, that's still there. That's That's still fresh and raw. Uh, I, it's a three, a four, a, in the old school in the old, you know, state tournament format. But I, I mean, I think Notre Dame's a favorite despite just not, as I mentioned earlier, the, I don't, I'm not trying to say Notre Dame's a disappointment at all. I mean, they're 15 and two, they, they could win this thing. They just, they just, they had just such a high ceiling coming out of last year and I, and I don't the off season, the weird year, all of it combined, the lack of motivation when you're what was taken away from you last year and not being able to play for it again this year, all of that I'm sure has a, played a part in this. But whatever the reason, and, and we, I talked about it about three podcasts ago. I fully expected at some point it for to all click for Notre Dame. I, I still don't think it has, and it has not come together for them. Here's a weekend of basketball against high profile teams that you were built for as a team for, for this two year run, uh, to kind of show and strut your stuff, Notre Dame, right now. And here's your time to do it. And I, I've got them, you know, I wouldn't be stunned if, at all if Evanston beat Notre Dame, but I do have Notre Dame pulling this one out. Should be good. There's a little concern about Anthony Sales' health. He hurt his ankle in their last game. There was a, I know a picture on Twitter of him down on the ground and, you know, he's got a football season coming up too. So he's got an, he, there's an awful lot on Anthony sales shoulders for a high school kid right now. Notre Dame trying to win the Chipotle classic and the football team needs him as the quarterback and his ankles sore. So <laughs> poor guy. We'll see how he does. Hopefully he gets to play. Uh, next up is young 12 and 0 versus DePaul prep 11 and two. Joe's got good matchup. I, I mean, yeah, but, yeah. yeah I, I just think DePaul has been one of the top teams all year. That's been the most inconsistent. I, I've seen them play very, very well to the point where I'm like, okay, this team is, it, it can, can challenge for, you know, a top two, three spot. And then I saw them last weekend against Fenwick and they played poorly. Now they've also been hit hard by, you know, a shutdown of COVID. COVID shutdown, missing some practice time and games. Uh, what's interesting is the game I saw them play so well in, they didn't practice for several days before it, uh, when they, when they really took apart St. Ignatius. But I, I, DePaul, when they're, when they are right, they can really guard. That has not been consistently happening. 
I didn't see that against Fenwick last weekend. But they've got those guards and T.Y. Johnson and Rashid Bello who put pressure on you, constant pressure. And when they're going going good, they're putting pressure on you at both ends of the floor. And they also have a little bit of size, not as much athleticism up front as young boasts, but they do have some size to kind of combat that front line of, you know, A.J. Casey and Xavier Amos and Grant Newell. Young's got some great size. I think the big thing here, Mike, is going to be that the return, uh, what's expected to be the return of Dalen Davis, who I think is a terrific sophomore point guard. He's missed a lot of time, uh, with, with an injury and he is expected back. He, he's kind of an un- underrated piece of that young team and the, yet they still won and won impressively 12 and 0 with some quality wins without Dalen Davis. My question is, how is Young even going to get there in time? Physically? Yes. They they play Clark at two <laughs> thirty. Yeah, I, I are you sure that game's going on? Uh, Terry Head says it is. Yeah, they haven't been told anything different, so uh, he hasn't been able to get an answer. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing they're not going. I I don't know what's going on, but yeah, that's their regular conference game, and. Um, mm-hmm. Would be quite a trick to, uh, you know, pull out of the west side <laughs> at, uh, five and get a uh, four, whatever. Um, should be interesting. Yeah, I got young as kind of a heavy favorite in this one. Um, I saw DePaul last night and they've had nice stretches and stuff, but that young team's got an awful lot, like you say. And boy, that list of that's why they're number one, you know, HF, Thornton, Carmel, Ignatius. Um, they've beaten all comers this year, some teams that have played real well. Uh, when, and, 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 and beat some of them. I mean, it'd be HF by, they were up by 30 at one yeah, point. Yeah, definitely. And they had, and HF had Daniel Reed in that game. They did not have him against Simeon and Simeon was closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mundelein, 13 and 1 against Fenwick, 12 and 2. This, uh, the 3 versus the 6. Joe's got Fenwick 66, Mundelein 60. This is our big Fenwick's another team. Yeah. I mean, Fenwick's another team that has been really up and down. And I, 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 I think Bryce Hopkins rises up to the occasion and has a huge weekend. I think he just is a dominating figure in this game, uh, and, and takes advantage of, you know, his just combination of skill and power. And has his way and really causes some problems for, for Mundelein. And, you know, Fenwick's got some offensive weapons. It's all about if they're going to, if they're going to be willing defenders and, and be able to get out and defend in the way that they're going to have to against a Mundelein team that also likes to put up points. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, the big worry here is Connor Enright. You know, left Mundelein's last game early, got hurt, you know, only, Played a little bit in it. Sounds like he might be out. We haven't heard for sure. Without Enright, you know, they're in big trouble against Fenwick. So it, it's tough to predict this one. You know, he's the D1 guard headed to Drake. With Connor Enright and a healthy Connor Enright, I'm pretty confident in Mundelein in this one. Uh, I don't think they have a whole lot of issues, but without him, they're in deep crud. And 
I'm upset about that, to be honest with you. Joe and I were talking about that a little bit before the podcast. To me, Mundelein was the really interesting team in this, the team I most wanted to see play in this, the team I thought could have had a fun run, and it just really takes the wind out of my sails if they're not at full strength. It's uh, it's, Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's four quarterfinal games. I think the teams they added up are combined 91-11, and 91-10. and 10. Uh, Those of you that obviously there's no crowd, but all four games are going to be streamed, so they can watch it. The no fans in the stands TV. The easiest way to find that is just um, at no fans TV. Uh, if you search that and find that, um, these game now the no fans in the stands TV has been free streaming for everybody uh, during the regular season for the five games, but this will be five dollars for the stream. Uh, but you get all four games for the five bucks. So pretty decent deal. I'll be there to cover all four and, uh, you can only see the last minute. Actually, I might not even be doing that since I have to write <laughs> stories on all four. That might not be possible. You might have to go with the five bucks, uh, but we'll see how that setup is. I guess, do you want to do, um, who do you got in the title game and who wins it? Oh, uh, I'm going to stick to the two, the two, I, I got young over Simeon in the title. I'm, I'm going to go two seed over the one. Um, I, I, as far as a team that maybe would break the, uh, I, I just keep going back to Notre Dame and, and thinking, okay, bright lights as bright as they can be in this season, uh, that they will kind of rise up and, potentially put a scare in Simeon in that semifinal game. That's the one team I think could maybe just find something and pull something off. But I'm going to go young to win it all for sure uh, over Simeon with the potential of Notre Dame pulling off a surprise. Yeah, boy, Notre Dame's got the hardest road, don't they? Or Evanston. I mean, yeah, Notre Dame would yeah, have to beat Evanston, right. Simeon, and Young <laughs> to win the yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a, yeah. Same for Everton. Yeah, that 4-5 game, you, you got a rough rough road to that that, tur- that trophy. Um, I will have um, – I got Simeon coming out of the top um, without much equivocation there. And I, I'll take Mundelein coming out of the bottom if they're healthy, but it seems like they're not. So I'll go with Young. And I, I do – I have Simeon winning, though, over – Young. The Mike O'Brien Mundeline fan club. I'm so disappointed. In yeah, I, I, I'm disappointed. I, I like different teams, and that's the biggest thing for me. I mean, of all these teams, you look at this, Mike. I mean, Fenwick's been down to Peoria. Exactly. They, yes, yes. Young, DePaul's been to Peoria. Evanson's been to Peoria. Simeon. I mean, Notre Dame's the one team, I guess, we got to taste. I mean, Notre Dame and Mundelein are a little bit in the same nah, situation. Nah, we Notre Dame same play, position. like, stud. They played Curie last year, you know? No, I know. I just mean, yeah. but Notre Dame hasn't won anything yet. <laughs> I, I, they haven't yeah. had an opportunity to – I mean, that team was loaded last year, primed and ready to win a sectional. They didn't even get a chance to win a sectional. Uh This year, nothing to – my point is, like, this was Notre Dame. Mundelein and Notre Dame, this was their two seasons. Uh, you know, they, that you, they were built for. They were, 
you know, the best teams in their probably program's history. And that's why I put them in the same kind of, same kind of boat compared to. I, know, I, I see that, but Mundelines is way different. They might never be back. <laughs> poor, poor Mundelines. Like, jeez. No, no, what do you mean seriously? Just looking at history. their history. Yeah. I mean, how often is Mundelein going to ever get it into the, you know, it just, it just doesn't happen for them. This is Notre Dame. Yeah. They might have a rough year or two. They'll be back in the top 10. You know, they've been there before for Mundelein. This is like a once in a, yeah, but I like Notre Dame's like, I mean, what have they been one time, like one sectional title in school history? Yeah. But, but they're, but they're in the big shootouts. They're a player. You know, they have D one players all the time. You know, they're part of our scene. You know, we can go three seasons of the podcast without mentioning Mundelein. Honestly. I mean, Ben Brust was the last, you know, that's been a while. (laughs) So, yeah, I I don't know. I just, to be honest, I'd rather Mundelein got the eighth seed and we got to play them, see them play Simeon (laughs) in the first game. At least that would have been like, because to me, the Mundelein Fenwick thing too, it's not what I wanted. Um, I I don't know. Yeah, that, that game doesn't, that, it's not the most exciting game to me. Um, I just wanted to see Mundelein get to play a massive powerhouse. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what I wanted. I wanted to see like, you know, and they would get in the boost that kind of the Geneva and Bolingbrook programs, you know, received at state, even in those games, they didn't win, you know, B- because they played so well on the big stage against the eventual champions or the, you know, you know what I mean? It, yeah. I, Th- yeah. That trickles I mean, down years, you know. It just and Mundelein's never going to get that chance now, and it stinks. But right. <laughs> what are you going to do? That's it. I'm not going into next week. We're too long already, and uh, next week's coming soon. <laughs> we'll. Uh, I guess let's do this earlier next week. So we podcast. Can, yeah, so we can have like a little Chipotle Classic roundup, and it's it, a lot of stuff's gonna happen this week that's not Chipotle Classic. There's a ton. Yeah, of Yeah, mid suburban league, and yeah, so and tons um, of state, uh, tons of conference tournaments are going on, um, all over. So we will hopefully come back. Which, which, uh, which I, I don't. Yeah, forget it. All right, <laughs> you, Joe, you wanted to uh, attack the conference tournaments. Well, you don't like the conference races. I'll double down on it. I don't <laughs> like conference tournaments. Like. You just played everybody. Yeah. I mean, what, 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 who cares if you're the conference? I mean, I know some of you are playing it because it's the only teams you can play. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. It's a COVID necessary evil in this time, the conference tournaments. But yeah, let, let them play. I'll... <laughs> you're not going to watch tell, all of the games. Tell, tell, tell me who wins the Southwest Prairie Conference <laughs> oh, Tournament boy. Championship. Better be Joliet West. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the basketball this weekend. Make the most of it. And we'll be back early next week to talk it over and uh, look at the last week of the public league season. Thanks for listening.